Bon, je pense qu'on peut, qu peut commencer. Right, I think we can start, even though we're just at 25, two numbers shy of my magic number, 23 rather. All the rest can join us as we, as we speak. Good evening and welcome to this gathering of the 154 Art Forum. It is on an oral gaze. It's a meeting between Boani Semben. It's part of the 154 Forum, which has been uh, uh, spaced, uh, covered by the 118 Space as part of the Crafting Words and Crafting Worlds. I'm delighted to have with us uh, Samba Gajigo with us, uh, Tuda Buanani. I'd also will be I'll be presenting them more formally, but firstly let me just say that I am grateful for their work, and they are both two great filmmakers, uh, who will be covering Osman Semben. This conversation will also be looking at. Uh, several issues, not just on the filmmakers' work, with the respective filmmakers' works, but we'll also be looking at traditional popular oral arts that inspired their works to find new cinematographic, uh, cinematographic works and also to decolonize the gaze and the imperialist gaze. As according to Olivier Bartlett, this is something that can also be applied to the screen. So we are looking as a way of refashioning the way of uh, the decolonization of this imaginary and to f make the black, the white masks fall. One of our guests may be speaking about a griot, and the other one is speaking about Amdias. These are all storytellers, 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 but are also have a role in expressing the uh, stories of our people. And another, we also have uh, the, the griot, who has been, uh, which is the West African storyteller who communicates the conscience of the people. Together, again, we have with us, we have two artists, two researchers, who we have Tuda Buananyani and Samba Gajigo. He's a filmmaker and a uh, film researcher who focuses on Francophone-speaking uh, Africa. His work is famous, uh, especially for Osman Semben. His, this uh, biopic looks at the work of Semben. It was presented at the Sundance and was also a finalist for the Camera d'Or in the 2015 Cannes Film Festival. Gajigo is also the author of Osman Semben, The Making of a Militant Artist, which I was very happy to read myself. And, uh, Politique for the development of uh, cinematographic development in Senegal. And then we have uh, Tuda, who looks at uh, the work of her father, Ahmed, or rather Ahmed Bouanani, 
So to, the, to that, has a great uh, dedication to the work of her father. And the work in particular is The Seventh Gate, A History of Cinema in Morocco. Before we start, uh, and here again, I also have a copy of The Seventh Gate. Before we look at our first question, I would like to ask both of you, Tuda and Samba, about the work that you do, work as uh, filmmakers. Personally, I see a lot of parallels between you, between your work, Tuda, with the help of your mother, Naima. You managed to recover the legacy of your father. Uh, and in fact, it, all his objects uh, that uh, were caught in a fire in his apartment. But you also, and you, Samba, recovered the legacy of Semben from the uh, humidity and water that threatened uh, his where he lived and also his films. Can you explain how you archived and salvaged their work? And uh, what form and to ultimately rendered these works in as books? And someone that would be making a militant artist, and for Tudor, that was uh, the seventh gate. Tudor, perhaps you'd like to start, but I could, but I could start if you like. After you. Firstly, thank you for inviting us to this conversation. This is an, an opportunity for me to uh, learn, to learn more about the cinema in Morocco. We talk about having to recover images. We have this uh, this awful tendency of making a distinction between North and South Africa, whereas uh, the works of Buonani was really Pan-African. So again, let's uh, break these colonial frontiers. I, I am really an, uh, a prototype of someone who received a, uh, a colonial education uh, shortly after uh, independence. Everyone in my generation, we uh, we we all lived in the same in the same uh, place uh, at the age of 12 and this really formed my identity being part of a family and uh, but then once i left the village to go to school that's uh, when i arrived at school in senegal we were no longer allowed to speak our mother tongue and other than not being able to speak my own language, but you know, you as you know, you can speak many languages, but only one's mother tongue is your true language, and not being able to speak it creates a, it's a kind of a castration from one's own expression. And uh, as I moved up the uh, French uh, schooling system. This, uh, these memories of home really became more and more distant. 
And then something brought me, brought, brought me back to myself. That was in high school when I uh, discovered Moliere and other writers, and in fact other African writers. And there was one book in particular that really made me rediscover myself. I met, uh, so I first discovered Semben's work when I at the University of Dakar. They, uh, this was really part of our learning program. When I was in Illinois, a university in Illinois, in the United States, again, this is when I decided that uh, not only would I be teaching uh, about his work, Semben's work, I also had the duty to do so. That was a, this was something that I wanted to teach in the United States, but also as a way of creating a kind of archaeology. And this is why I decided to dedicate my work to Semben, and I was able to meet him myself in 1989, and uh, we were able to work together up until his death. And it was really, I was shocked to find how his work had deteriorated over the years. There was humidity, but there was a lot of negligence, really, and that was the negligence of our authorities. They had not been properly cared for, and this made it really difficult to recover. So for me, this was uh, a good way to, to honor his memory. For years, I worked for over five years to catalog, to recover, and to archive his work. And that's how that was my involvement in that particular piece of work. As for me, Okay, of course, uh, I know uh, Ahmed uh, Bouanani since birth. Uh, I don't know if I was lucky, but uh, we could definitely say that it's a different situation. Even though I, to start off, what I had quite a, an artistic affinity and literary affinity even with uh, with all the the work that my father make me made me read maybe into I was too young when I started to read them mais c'est au moment de en 2007 uh, avec so you can see um, actually a lot of um, comparison. I mean, there is a comparison here when you talk about your encounter with Sam Ben and the way I met Ali Safi as um, my father passed away in 2011 at the 
time of the Arab Revolution. And it's true that's when you started as one of your, um, your career in filmmaking. And I'd like to say that this is really also like a family trigger. My mother, she was working with my father. But she was suffering from kidney failure and I had to be her carer. And uh, that's the first reason why I had to leave France to Morocco. And when my mother passed away at the end of 2012, I was faced with a challenge. If I was not going to do something about it, everything will actually disappear. So of course, when Annie was still famous, and when he passed away, however, there was also uh, some mistakes made on his picture shown in the media and someone confused him for somebody else working for the RTM. So despite the fact that he was not an unknown filmmaker, still he was almost already forgotten. So I had to take that decision and a clear and strict decision. And it's true that there was also a fire. Um, a fire broke out in departments, so a lot of things had to be renovated and recovered. There was a lot of uh, manuscripts, a lot of uh, literature, poetry, but also the history of cinema that was just uh, published in the Kilt Araba edition. And it's true that actually, as you said in the movie about Samben, if Africans don't write their own uh, stories, they will disappear. And I think that this was very clear for me. And it was like really a struggle for seven years, seven years of hard work. So, of course, I worked with the cult uh, editions with Omar Baradama, Pierre Boutier, Ali Safi, Pierre Mouram. And we worked to create this book, for this book to exist, because it's essential for Africans to actually tell their own story. Because cinema is part of life, and I think that was important. Thank you. Uh, and maybe now to also bring the memory of Buenani Sanben to the popular memory. Earlier, I quoted Sanben that used to say, or I should maybe say that the griot is a filmmaker. And a filmmaker is the griot. And I think you could say the same about Buonani because really, in the way he looks at Moroccan cinema, of the, and he compares really that of the Amdias 
And I think we could also make an additional parallel in the way they look at their role as a filmmaker. Buonani talks about the Amdias as a historian of his um, tribe, and Samben, the griot, saying that he was a very dynamic element of the uh, village. So both filmmakers identify their work as a witness of historical process by African peoples on both sides of the Sahara desert, desert. And also, it's a collective memory, but also threatened by authority, by national bourgeoisie, and their cultural policies that resemble a very Eurocentric vision. I think that for Sam Bendis, the way it is identified with the griot, the very first time he said that was in 56. It was before publishing his first novel. And Samban, at the, you know, he just like published a poem, of course, called Liberty, influenced by Paul Eluard. And he says, yes, I will be the griot of our ancestors. And this is in the poem he published in 56. And of course, that's also part of his education because San Ben was born in 1923, very close to his grandmother and all this oral tradition. So I think he absorbed really a lot of uh, here histories and he comes from Casamans, but I think we can go really beyond this area. And all the area of Western Africa, the French say uh, griot, the Pula will say Nyenyo, the Bambara will say jelly. So as you can see, it is really a character. It's a function. It's a social category that exists in every single society in Western Africa. I believe also that it was a very important role, pre-colonial and colonial periods, but also still today, even if I would say maybe less strong position. So it was really the link between the ancestor, these, and the griot. It's a combination of both that was actually creating a collective memory. Stories were told to the next generation that way. And these stories were so important. Then one, Amadou Ampateba, one of the famous uh, writers that used to work for UNESCO, basically wrote this beautiful sentence in Black Africa, an old man dying is a library burning out. And I believe that this is to strengthen really this tradition, this oral tradition, but it also underlines the way it is actually fragile. So San Ben, of course, arrives in Marseille. He was very uh, active in the trade unions, in the CGT. He was a member of the French Communist Party. Um, he was member of different organizations fighting against like the war in Algeria, the war in other countries. So I believe that really it was about the, the political fight also. Even if at the foremost for him, it was about 
culture. It was about preserving our stories. I believe that we could actually forgive the Occidentals to, to come and, you know, pillage our resources. But for me, the main massacre of the colonialism was really the destruction of our culture, of this, this possibility to have a voice. And that's true that talking about this so significant aspect of this uh, culture, and as Aimé César used to say, writing is, is, is also a love. So I think that in 56, in this first book, I think he recognized the significance of the griot. So the African artist, the modern African artist that really absorb this culture, needs to use this culture in order to be the voice of people, to be the conscience of the people. Of course, we all know the story of Semben, where he goes back in the 60s in Senegal. All these books were written in French. So 85% of the uh, population in Senegal could not even read these books. So that's why he moved to filmmaking. That's why it's a parallel. It's a parallel between the cinema and the griot in the uh, traditional society in Senegal. I think there's not only Amdias. I think there is, first of all, the grandmother or the mother. And I think there's two, way, two types of knowledge. The way you tell a story and also the knowledge of uh, plants and uh, medicinal plants. And then Buanani, when he graduates from the edict in 63, he goes to work for the Festival of Popular Arts. He goes to different tribes in Morocco. He's going to collect stories enigmas, stories, short stories. He's going to look at the significance of some jewelries. And he's draw, he's dry, he draws also all these jewelries. And um, for Semben, I think it was the same for Buanani. I think at the beginning, if, if there was a choice, he would have been a writer because I think writing was very important. Poetry was very significant for him, but of course in French. And he then could not uh, talk to his fellow citizens. That's why filmmaking, cinema was a way that was easier to convey, to communicate. Tuda? Could you also tell us about um, his work with the INAT, the National Institute of Traditional Arts? I think that was for a few years. And Rama Barada also, here in the Seventh Gate. 
that for Buanani, the main challenge was memory. We had to reconstitute a cultural memory that was interrupted to build an intimate space based on the different fragments that we could sti um, still put together. And that's why Buanani traveled all across Morocco to collect all these traditions. So where are these archives? What happened with INAT, this National Institute? So the archives are in Rabat. So I'm not sure what was available in Rabat. There's still some things remaining in the apartment after the fire. So I think he wanted to reconstitute a memory and convey that. However, for the festival, it was just like a folklore. It was just um, a different way of looking at memory. And for him, I don't think that's what he wanted. So this folklore and the fact that everything was like frozen was like a spectacle. So I'm not saying that the show is not part of the memory, but I don't think um, that's what um, he considered as a communication, how you convey memory. Um, okay, so let's go back to filmmaking. And uh, let's look at uh, Buanani and Sam Ben movies. I was reading an article, so some of you probably know that. I mean, I'm sure you do, of uh, Françoise Pfaff. And she identifies five, five ways in the way the Sam Ben cinema filmmaking is a kind of a continuation of oral popular arts. So I think we talked at, about how he identifies with the griot. So it's not a break, it's really a continuation with this uh, legacy, but also the inclusion of the different characters and the griot, but also the way he includes all the characters from all the uh, tales and legends, but also same topics, like in legends and tales, and also the way he looks at structures, the way he looks at language, and how this looks like, like his work. And reading through all that, I recovered the same in the Buanani cinema. Could you tell us a bit about that, uh, the characters, the aesthetics, the, uh, the stories, and what was the relationship between this cinematographic work and literary work with, uh, with this legacy, this oral legacy? Of course, uh, we've always spoken about the identification of Seben himself as a filmmaker. 
we should also say that there's he has a, the, there's a presence of the griot character in his works and also Chedo in one of his works which is uh, something from the 17th century which is also the story from the perspective of a griot of course we can also Avic Zeben could identify with this role of uh, the griot, being able to speak in the tongue. After his, after Zeben saw the need to decolonize the mind, he realized that it had to start with uh, the oral culture. That's when he did his film called Mandabi, and it's a Wolof word. Another followed by another factor which is less known, and uh, there's another. But it, in uh, '72, he created a company dedicated to what to create the very first Wolof newspaper called La Parole. So he's in his cinema. They speak in the Wolof language. So Mandaba was in uh, Wolof. In 71, he did Emetai, which was in another language. And to come back to this historical language, this film I just mentioned is about the God of Thunder. And it's about the, the forced misunderstanding of the the Senegalese in the army when they had to fight in the war ball. And here there's a story of uh, a woman who resisted the confiscation of her rights by the French army. So here it really is the presence of a, an historical character. It is an historical and emblematic character. It is also signifies this resistance, refusal of, uh, of, uh, of dishonor. So Seben, he teaches, he recovers these stories, and he sanctifies them through an official story. And because the, the official story had, had replaced, in fact, the collective memory. The final film of Seben in uh, Senegal, which was called The Jula, it compares, ah, it in fact is a language that is spoken in Mali and in other countries in the region, including the south of Burkina Faso. This using this language that was already an ineffective uh, language that was in fact the empire language that dated back as far as uh, the 13th century. So again, it's, he uses the, the character of the griot, the historical role of the griot. How did he, uh, and it was his way really of addressing the majority of Africans. 
If you go to Nigeria, there are hundreds of languages. There are, so so the, the idea was how do you address language given these facts? If we look at oral gaze, so these are two words. Senben always looked at how we can uh, create cinema, whether it's in Morocco, whether it's in Wolof. How do we build, how do I build works and images and symbols and gestures and from a shared heritage while transmitting a message? So the, really the challenge of African cinema is to is to make sure that we can listen, we can listen with our eyes and hear and see with our ears. It's not only about breaking the, the linguistic barriers that was imposed on us by the English language, but it's also about creating an indigenous cinema where we can use and communicate in our own languages. And that really is the ambition. It's also the aesthetics of Griot. The space can be really organized in a different way, in, in an African way. So these are all the issues that we have to look at. And uh, Seben gave a, a conference in uh, 1999 where he looked at the role of filmmakers and the role of language and the role of the griot. How can we use the camera to subvert the main uh, narratives coming from the West? So I don't want to refer to Jean-Paul Sartre, but in uh, 1947, when uh, when Senghor, Leopold Senghor, uh, gave his uh, first publication, there was the, the Black Orphan, which was also published uh, by Sartre, and he said, when you can free your mind, and really this, in saying all of this, it comes back to the role of the gaze of the white man. And how can we use, and how the, the griot can actually turn around this trend by, you know, by creating our own mirror. It could be a broken mirror, but we need to make it a an intact mirror so that we can, in terms of language, when you spoke about Chedo and films like Editai, and when you look at Gelois, who came afterwards, and uh, who and this featured historical films, if you look at the text, it says it's an African legend from the 20th century. This really puts in context all the previous films that. Uh, have an historical narrative and as legends in fact and when i say legends i don't mean fiction but i mean uh, storytellers 
our, what our parents told us, what our grandparents would tell us. The resistance, anti-colonial resistance, the real-life heroes that existed in, here, in history. They were not necessarily written, but they were transmitted orally. We can find uh, the same uh, phenomenon in Chuda, where there is a character who is looking or who hears rather a legend from a master and now who goes out looking on a quest. Can you tell us more about this, Luda? Tuda. So, let me pick up, uh, in fact, I'm going to refer back to what we were saying earlier, to this quest, the quest of popular arts. There is a uh, transmission in the Souffle journal, and that's introduction to popular poetry. In it, it says, in a work from in the works from the 60s and 70s, there is a quest, the quest of a poet, in fact, of poetry. It's a journey, it's research, and in fact, the end is quite surprising because in both cases, uh, the character dies. The poet dies. At the same time, it's not fatalistic, it's not negative, negative, it's really the quest that matters the most. This is the danger of oral transmission or exclusive oral transmission is that the risk of loss, of there not being any transmission. Then there's the question of language. Nafaya speaks is in his poetry is in French, but then the uh, source is in Arabic. And then there's a, the, the narrator of the story as well. I just want to say to our participants that if they have any questions, they can write them down in the chat box. I can read them at the same time. But uh, just one more thing in terms of poetry and, and the griot. There's also singing in the, the introduction to popular poetry book, the poet is described as a singer. His voice is, is carries, and it's something that we can see in your own films. Of course, we can see it in the, the March of the Poet film, and also in the Mirage, and we can see this through the songs of the troubadour, the character is played by his son, and uh, the character is both a poet and a singer. So, Seben 
he, uh, of course, he uh, used this oral transmission and singing quite often in his work. And then there's a professor at New York University. He, he in fact, was asked to explain the process of uh, Seben. He said, like a griot, I'm my own writer, I'm my own screenwriter, I'm my own director. So, again, of course, here in the United States, it's completely different. You, in Hollywood, uh, you have a, a whole uh, team of, uh, of, of roles. But for him, Seben, he played all these roles. Earlier, you spoke about legends. I think most, well, let's look at my definition of legend. For me, it's a very basic definition, and it's really the transmission of, of, of a popular story, of a well-known story, something that has been fertilized over time. He uh, will call this a, uh, a legend. This is something that I really enjoyed in, in the seventh book, the seventh gate, rather. Not only was he speaking about uh, the present reality, he, this, he was really, Ahmed Wani was really a visionary and a poet. We could, he could really see beyond all the issues facing us, whether it's subjugation, whether it's uh, uh, development, tensions in the region. He really, he was a dreamer, he was a poet. So in this film, he is a legend because he dreamed of an Africa in which, in which Africans can take their own destiny in their hands. And really, this is following a, a dialogue among uh, Moroccan uh, filmmakers, for instance. So, to come back to what you said about music, I think we can consider music as a vector of uh, the oral art, because it's really about the words with the music. And another parallel between both, Bunani also writes in the introduction to popular poetry, the poets are very important when it comes to the fight against colonialism early century. And they are the ones always going from one village to the next that tell the most extraordinary stories. And then we have Sen Ben talking about Imitai in an interview, and he says that during the colonial period, all the information communicated to the population were conveyed by music in the different villages. Yes, and actually when you look at really the music, the music in the films and Sam Ben actually wrote the music and also another one on the Burkina Faso and female maturation. I think FGM, what is very important is music. 
the music written by Sam Ben in French, translating Jula. And I think this is really the element that really structures all the elements of the story. And it's a kind of punctuation. The music is a punctuation. It's about the education of female. So it is really about the African woman. Of course, they are mothers, the mothers of the kings, the mothers of the poor. But once the girls are born, they also need an education. So I really think it's about this music. So it's a kind of a most summary of the whole movie, if you listen to the lyrics. So when you also look at the village, usually they meet in the evening and there is really like a sharing. It's a sharing moment between the audience and the griot. But of course the griot doesn't have the monopoly of, of the word here. It's, it's like a total, complete theater. There's dance and there's a music and there is like an exchange. And actually if here when in, in New York, in Boston, when you go to the movie theaters, you have to be silent watching your movie. But when I went to Africa and Burkina Faso, I see people interacting with the characters of the movie. So it's like in the oral tradition, you know, the griot starts a story, but then the audience is going to take part, to dance, to sing, to interact. So there is a communication. And this is why Samben, until his death, when he was creating movies, and, you know, because of the censorship, he was taking his movies very seriously. He was actually renting like screens and renting a van. And he was going from village to village like the troubadours were doing in the Middle Ages in France and like the griots were doing, going from one village to the next. And I also wanted here to make another parallel with Tuda because actually we have a question here from a participant. How can we structure a movie based on our tradition and our oral traditions? And today I think you actually talk about this interaction with the movies. And I know that today in the Buanani journal, he talks about the silence. Maybe would you like to answer to this question? I'm talking about uh, one of his movies. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to understand the question. Samba was talking about um, how the audience. Oh yes, I think I think I understand your question. Sorry. So, Bunmani was saying that that um, each storyteller tells the story that he knows, of course, but of course using his own uh, words, his own way of telling a story. So he, each uh, storyteller is going to add different elements. And I think this is also uh, what Borges um, wrote. Each Every writer uh, actually writes the same story, but um, using his or her own words. So it's about rewriting, rewriting the story. 
Do you want me to to maybe more specific on the on the journal? Is that what you said? Yes. When he talks about silence, the silence of the characters. You talk about time. Yes. The fact that the, the audience in Morocco, when they're watching a, a movie, they actually talk. So he's the narrator, but also the movie. He's, um, he's, there's no dialogues, right? In the movie. Yes. In that movie, the four sources you write, the quatre sources. It's about music, it's about sound, and it's about representation because he asked uh, the actors to act differently, not to imitate reality. There is now another comment from Valentine, so another attendee. And her comment is, I think it's also very interesting when it comes to cooperation. Buonani, in his way, tells a story, the story of the Moroccan cinema, and also to highlight the work of others, and Sam Ben, and also his work with Sigma 3 and the Sigma 3 group, and Semben, with his cooperation co with the actors, the act group of actors and the magazine, also you've mentioned Samba. Yes, but just to, to step back for a second on the reaction to movies, I think the art of the griot is a collective art. It's a story that belongs to society, and that's very important because it's oral. So, of course, because it's oral, it's also fragile, but it's also live words. It's also about cinema in our own national languages with our own national aesthetics. So, basically, the spectators, the audience, participates to the story. They laugh, they sing, they shout. When I have young people in, in movie theaters, it was very funny to look at them and see how they interact. So it's really how you receive the movie as the audience, as a spectator. So it's really how it's completely different. It's, and it's the same for a book. For books, it's exactly the same. It's the, about the reader. It's how you identify to the story, how you react to a story that you read. And the griot is the same. So it's about the story he's telling, and it's never about telling the same story the same way. It's also about having this flexibility, this imagination, which is liberated because it's told orally. So there was a lot of work done on these aesthetics for Semben. 
and also how you communicate and you create a cinema that is not like a superstar blockbuster cinema but and until the very like last movies for casting he was really like um, casting people that um here there is very very interesting he was just like uh, casting people in the streets and uh, when he was asked why don't you just uh, cast like professional actors and his answer was clear professional actors are only good for two things first to represent gangsters and the second one is to uh, play dead kings so basically you know for Sam Ben, it was really funny. The scenario was just a, a starting point and the artist can improvise. So the final product is going to be different and it's a cooperation. And that's very interesting. And for the scenario, he writes a different scenario like six, seven times and then he distributed these uh, scenarios to the artists. So I think that's very interesting to see how this was done in a very collaborative way. So when we're talking about the work, for the people, it has to be made by the people for the people. I'm sorry, I'm looking for my words here. Let's call it a wave. I started in South America with the third cinema, with the collective dynamics, with the left-wing groups. And I know that Sam Ben liked the new cinema. I know that in Morocco, there was a, the magazine called Cinema 3, and I know that Buanani was also part of these groups, like these um, different ways of working. But let me just come back to the questions of the participants, sorry. Omar Berada uh, is asking, Tuda, could you give us more about the knowledge on the medicinal plants by Ahmed Buanani? And also, for example, in his book, The Hospital, or also when he talks about poetry, saying that nature can, can soothe and also can trigger a full communication based on the language with animal plants and insects. I don't know how to talk about that. In relation to my father, I know that um, he was very interested in uh, fauna and flora and birds too. But what I can say that I have here this uh, same passion about uh, medicinal plants. And I remember telling my dad about that and he was very happy. And I would say that this was actually something I learned with my uh, grandmother on my mother's side. And I remember that um, there was like milk with mint. 
And I love the smell, just the smell of it. When you're a little sick and um, you're in bed, just the smell made you feel better. And plants, it's about, um, of course, um, this medication, but it's also like smell. It's all your senses. So it's not about the knowledge that was here that came from my father, but I think that still it's something that comes from, from, from my grandmother. And it's my job now to pass it on. Right, we'll have a look at the other questions from our participants. Right, we have one question here that I'm going to translate for you. So Madame Boani spoke about... Well, let me first understand the question. I'm not sure I understood the question. Do you have the question in English? So I'm going to read it in English. Ms. Bourdain talked about the quest uh, was the importance, not necessarily find, finding the poet at the end of the story. And so I thought that was an interesting concept in this context. Je pense qu'elle parle de that made me think uh, of lots of things, everything from the solidity of a finished work versus the process of transmission in an oral context. I'm not sure if I understood it uh, sufficiently well to translate it into French. On peut retourner à. Je pense qu'il n'y a pas d'autres questions. So I think that may, might be all. There aren't any other questions. Ah, a question on the Afro-American cinema from the 1960s. The call and response between the audience and the screen, audience interacting with the screen. And there's a link with perhaps what we were saying. This, uh, this uh, means of uh, this in it's a kind of a consummation or a consumption rather between uh, this participation that you have between the screen and the the audience is there are some parallels that we can we can make but I think we're running short on time We've reached uh, our one hour. I don't know whether you wanted to add anything else. I would love to learn so much more about Moroccan cinema, but uh, I hope we can continue this conversation at another time so that we can really give justice to Bouani, to Ahmed Bouanani. 
there were so many and when I say I mean there's Moroccan cinema there are also factors of African cinema at the time of Semben you had to uh, transport uh, all this equipment but now with today's technology it's there's there's other thing that we can add because this technology is so light we can uh, cover even more even more ground we now have this nationalist african cinema we have it's a grouping of african filmmakers who want to uh, create and who want to contribute to this liberation movement i've seen the filmography of uh, the seventh gate there is a whole string of uh, filmmakers in uh, Buanani's wake following in his footsteps. The artist who used his camera as a weapon. How can we amplify that? And how do we not fall into the not fall into the trap of commercial cinema? They these are all dream factories of of unrealistic dreams. It would be much better as Sembene and as Buanini wanted, and that was the camera to be used more. And to do this, filmmakers need to make do far more research into the oral traditions, and not and I don't mean folklore. I mean living culture. Thank you. I would say, let's stay in touch, Samba, so that we can uh, we can uh, share and communicate on our pioneers because sometimes it's difficult even within africa it can be difficult to to share and convey thank you well at least we were able to document this gathering i'm quite sure that that uh, Semben and Buanani would have would have met at at some point, and it's uh, and perhaps it's a pity if uh, that we don't know if this this actually happened or if there's any if it has been documented. But at least starting to document from this point onwards, starting with this gathering, it should be uh, we will be broadcasting it uh, elsewhere. Thank you, both of you. It was an immense pleasure to have both of you with us. I hope that uh, there will be some great things coming out of this discussion. Thank you to all our participants. Thank you, 154. Thank you, Espas 18. And speak to you soon. Ah, there are some questions that are popping up now, but I'm afraid it's too late. We're going to close the session. Right, we're closing the doors, but we're leaving the windows open. Thank you, Nadir. Thank you.
for this initiative. It's diff it's, uh, it's a big challenge, Nadir, and you you did well. Don't uh, don't give up on your camera. You're clearly doing something right. Goodbye, the seventh gate. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, Nadia.